Hello! <laughs> hey, and welcome to Into the Aether. Uh, it's a low-key video game podcast. My name is Brendan Bigley. You you often surprise me with these intros, but that was a side of you I've never seen before. <laughs> hey, you know, I, I just went to South Carolina for a little bit. I've come back sure. a changed man. <laughs> they taught me how to sing opera yeah. just in passing. I met a very sad clown who said, let me tell you a thing or two about vocal cords. <laughs> but doctor, I did just teach Brendan how to sing. <laughs> this is yet another episode that we're recording at night and another time where like, we literally are recording a day after we usually do. And it's felt like eight years. I don't know what's going on with time and dimensions <laughs> and the sun goes out at like four and it's depressing, but uh, it's all, it's all merged into this moment. And I'm happy yeah. to be here. You can see it. The the listener can't see it, but I have, I have this like resplendent, beautiful uh, golden light behind me that I, that I purposely bought just to like fend off seasonal depression, which is actually very helpful. I like it a lot because it just yeah. makes it feel like perpetual sunlight. I also have, they call them sad lamps, which feels sort of insulting, but yeah. it is the <laughs> official terminology. I do have a sad lamp as well yeah. uh, in the corner of my room near my succulents. Oh, nice. It does wonders, yeah. I have like four giant aloe vera plants. It feels like a little shop of horrors, but like that's good. herbivores, you know? Yeah, yeah for when the sun comes back out again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. How is it uh, raising a bunch of succulents? Is is it like working out? Yeah, it's fine. I mean, actually, they can be difficult, or they can be like you don't have to think about them. It's the latter for these. I okay, I, I had two back in the day. I had an aloe vera, and I forgot what the other one was, but it was more like a, a blooming onion of yeah. of succulents. I don't know what the name of the flower is. We don't. No, I, th- I think it's the blooming onion. The same thing they have at Outback Steakhouse. Yeah, yeah you can get it at any any local Outback. And if that one guy with the with the Outback Steakhouse car wins at NASCAR, then you get it for free. You get a free succulent. <laughs> Raising succulents can be so hard. Anyway, uh, I had this aloe vera and the blooming onion in my old apartment, which didn't get a lot of sunlight. And the blooming onion perished, but the aloe vera remained strong. And then in this new place that I've been now for a couple of years, I get a lot of sun. So it like digivolved mm. before my eyes into like a weird mecca angel wow um and then my friend sadie was like i have these two my aloe vera got so big i had these two like little baby sprouts and now those are huge so i gotta get a new pot for my three aloe vera plants i love that for you yeah i just want to get a different kind of plant because it's weird that i just have a bunch of like weird (laughs) crab leg plants in the corner so well speaking of digivolving yeah uh, we're talking about games today uh (laughs) first of which (laughs) is one that we've been kind of hyping up for a really, really long time, honestly. Uh, This week saw the release of Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Shining Pearl, the remakes of Diamond and Pearl, the Nintendo DS games. It's all all linked together. It's all merging. There's no such thing as 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 free will. Oh, Fate has predetermined our timeline. We've decided, you know, quote unquote, decided on the Nintendo DS bonus as our season five premiere. 
At the same time, the Pokemon company said, we're going to remake some Nintendo DS games. It all it all links together. Yeah. These are also just to circle back to what we talked about forever ago when they first announced these. But these are the Pokemon games I've played the most, which is interesting. I played them, I want to say, eighth grade into freshman year of high school. Uh, okay. And they are the Pokemon games, the only ones in which I've caught them all. I did the thing that they said in the tagline in the anime <laughs> from episode one. Gotta catch them all. I was like, I will do it now. I played enough of these games. I know what I'm doing. I'm going to catch them all. And I did. And it took me hundreds of hours. And strangely enough, definitely, definitely uh, doubling down on this. Now, having played a bunch of this, I think that the act of catching them all in Diamond and Pearl back in the day also wiped my memory of the actual video games, Pokemon Diamond yeah. and Pokemon Pearl. I have no memory of what happens yeah. in these games. These remakes feel entirely new for multiple reasons, but mainly is like this is, you know, 10 plus years old that I played these games. Also, I dumped so much time into the post game that I don't even remember what the actual game is. That's exactly my experience as well. I think a lot of people had that because this is also the first Pokemon game that had online functionality. Yeah. So I think that's probably why a lot of people remember just like the post game and playing online and like getting friend codes. It was like the most right. archaic era of Nintendo friend codes ever. It's interesting because this, I also like don't remember the campaign at all. So it's all kind of fresh to me. I'm two years older. So this came out like my sophomore or junior year of high school. And it was interesting. Pokemon is a series that I I always love talking about because like you and I have basically been like in the crosshairs of marketing for our entire life. Because like we (laughs) were really young when Red and Blue came out and I was a conscious human for every generation after that. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting to think about Diamond and Pearl and the like sort of um, preconceived notion of what the remakes are going to be, because I think that we, we talked about Pokemon a lot. We talked about this sort of mixed bag of expectation that people have. There are people that like want the same thing every time. There are people that want it to be radically different. There are people that just will be angry no matter what the fuck comes out, you know, like, yeah, it, yeah. There, there, and it's because I think it's such a giant series that I think you get just sort of more out of whack discussion about it. You know, I think any series that gets this big, you just see a lot more intense opinions on it. Yeah. But regardless, I remember when Diamond and Pearl came out in high school and I remember the reviews at the time were like, yeah, it's more Pokemon. That was really like it. Like That was like the first Pokemon game where you could kind of tell people were like maybe getting a little bit suspicious of the like... <laughs> Yeah. Rinse, wash, repeat formula. But the reviews were good and people liked it. And it was essentially, yeah, it's more Pokemon. That's kind of fully what I was expecting for these remakes was just like that. Like I didn't really <laughs> yeah. want or need them to be groundbreaking. And I, I don't blame anyone for like maybe wanting to see, because I think every other remake has sort of like slapped the new systems onto the old story. Like I know, um, I think the, the 3DS remakes of Emerald and, excuse me, of Ruby and Sapphire like added mega evolution yeah, to those games. Do. I'm really glad there isn't Gigantamax and Sinnoh like I just think that that would be like it's not something I really wanted outside of the context of like the FIFA-esque stadiums of Sword and Shield like I think it worked in a story about like the sort of spectacle of the gym battles but like (laughs) just sort of finding a Bidoof and saying get huge is not like (laughs) Well, maybe I do kind of want that. Only Bidoof can Gigantamax. That would actually be fine. All that to say, I think that I was looking forward to just sort of having a similar to the experience you had with Mario Super Circuit on the Game Boy Advance of just having like, here's like a no fluff Pokemon game that's just like 
what you know and love. I think it's also a good move that Game Freak is also experimenting alongside this game. Like they're kind of doing everything. Yeah. Regardless of how well all those games come out and how well it's executed, I do respect them for like going in a really new direction with Arceus, kind of doing the tried and true method with Shining Pearl and Brilliant Diamond, and the sort of halfway point with Sword and Shield. You know, I think that like it doesn't always work, but I do think they've definitely changed the mold the most they ever have. And I think having a game alongside that change that is just like the stationary experience. I think works for me and, I, and I'm, I'm very early on still but I've been just really enjoying that sort of like I guess by context bare bones experience yeah you and I were talking about it uh, a bit a couple days ago right after you did your you just you started your Nuzlocke stream oh yeah uh, which yes. is available on the YouTube by the time this is out but uh you had just wrapped up your first stream and I was we were just talking kind of idly about what you thought about your first like hour or two in the game and the word that kept coming up was comfortable like it just yeah. feels like exactly what you want. And I, I think you're totally on the money about what Game Freak is trying to do here, which is like, this is for the old heads that don't want it to change. <laughs> you know, the, right. the, dra- the Dragon Quest fans, essentially, who don't want the series to change too much. And then, you know, Arceus's are like big swing for the future, which I think is, a, I think it's a great move. But, you know, even removed from that, I just think these are good video games. I yeah played a lot of diamond already i didn't even have that much time to play diamond since it came out because i was away for a while and uh on both plane rides and in every free moment i've played pokemon diamond which is wild because i'm only done with two gyms at this point i'm like on my way to the third gym there's a lot of story that happens (laughs) in that amount of time and there are a lot of systems that are introduced in that amount of time as well but i think the thing that's standing out for me the most is the visuals are much better than I thought they were going to be uh, in practice. And the music is awesome in this game. Yeah. The music the remixes is are really great. Yeah. Really, really pretty. And, you know, some of the stuff that like has carried over from the original Diamond and Pearl that they've changed a little bit, like the underground is like fascinating and very interesting. Um, but I, I wouldn't say is like the reason to pick the game up. It's just like another thing you can go do. But honestly, I, I think the thing that is getting the most pushback is the visual, like is the visual design is, is this kind of like chibi art style that they've gone for, which I was like, fine with i didn't really mind when they announced it i was like yeah sure this is this is whatever you know it's like an adaptation of what was on the ds so it kind of makes sense yeah Uh, in a way i wasn't like thrilled by it especially i think after playing pokemon let's go eevee is like that is kind of my ideal if you're gonna make a very like by the numbers pokemon game again on the switch like let's go pikachu and eevee is maybe the perfect visual identity for that nailed setting i think beyond most other pokemon games yeah but what i've noticed about this game i think and you know i I don't i don't know what's going on at game freak how they're developing this stuff etc etc but i have to imagine the kind of more pared back art style that they have here the more like chibi vibe allows them to kind of flex in other ways specifically the light engine i think is really stunning in this game for sure even just like clouds going overhead casting shadows in real time over objects and buildings and stuff is honestly really nice there are like reflections all over the place which is like a thing most people would just associate with ray tracing but uh is clearly not what's happening here but anyway i don't know i I just find myself like constantly surprised by how good it looks it's one of those situations where like the context of having sat down and played this game for an hour 
kind of really drives home how beautiful this game is in a way that watching a one to two minute trailer in a Nintendo Direct absolutely does not. Like when you're just watching like quick clips. Um, and honestly, I don't think the first trailer for this game was very good anyway with those like weird kind of askew angles of screenshots of the game. And most of it is text boxes anyway. It was like, that's yeah. not how you should show this game off. <laughs> but when you sit down and you play it for like an hour, like when you just do the first hour, it becomes apparent very quickly that this was the right choice for these games. Yeah, I, I like how it transitions between the chibi style and then when you're in battle, it looks like Sword and Shield. So yeah. like the characters awesome. are, you know, I think it is like a slightly less successful version of what Link's Awakening was going for. But that had almost mm-hmm. like a toy box look to it. Like yeah. everything had like a really a lot of textures and like a strong um, yeah. like visual flair in that way. They bring that tilt shift uh kind of vibe into this every once in a while like when you go into caves specifically they like try and blur out the foreground and the background to try and like almost fake a tilt shift perspective and it super does not work at all like that's like the one element of the game where every time they do that i'm like just take the blur away i i would actually rather (laughs) see what's in the background yeah Uh, it'd be helpful Um, for me to navigate this cave game freak yeah and there are a lot of caves that's the thing about diamond and pearl the core games and i think that's probably why they added the underground is like a nice way to temper this is that like there's really not a lot of variety in both the settings and in the pokemon you can catch yeah and that is something i remembered about the core game and that's why like you know once you get to the post game like you did you can catch them all you can catch anyone and suddenly you have i think the reason that game was so successful is that like you had all the Pokemon at your disposal in an engine that like kind of prioritized battling. Uh, it was revamped in a way where like that was the first game that every this is very in the weeds, but like every <laughs> attack, regardless of its elemental type, was physical or special. So yes. like in third gen, every water attack would be special attack. And that leaves for alligator with no viable options. Uh, so, you know. <laughs> For most people, this doesn't mean anything, but it, it it did allow sort of like a competitive scene to like begin uh, in a way online. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then he added online functionality of the game. It just kind of went hand in hand with that and really blew up which is yeah. nice. And I think going back to what you're talking about with like the lack of mega evolutions or Dynamaxing or Z moves or whatever, whatever. I think honestly, like playing this game just kind of made me realize that I would much prefer Pokemon without that stuff. I think me like ev- every generation they try and like force something like that in there. And I always see a contingent of the fan base online upset when that goes away in the next generation. And like, I always find that very confusing because like who is buying Pokemon for the Dynamaxing? I don't know. I I get that it's exciting, but I think you're right in that, you know, the modes that they add or like the extra mechanics that they're adding for each generation tend to fall in line with what they're trying to do story wise, even if those stories aren't very successful. Uh, They're at least like giving it a shot, you know, and I I do think that the Dynamaxing and Gigantamaxing of Sword and Shield is definitely the most, I would say, successful they've been in terms of like marrying mechanic and theme weirdly yeah it should be like jumping the shark but it works both mechanically and narratively in a way that mega evolutions did not and z moves absolutely did yeah z moves were really bizarre um but all of that said this game just feels kind of like free from all that and just feels like very floaty and uh just feels like climbing into a warm bed after a long day uh and i've been I've been really, really, really enjoying it in a way I super was not expecting. Because I, I think in our conversations about this beforehand, the the worst case scenario for us was like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be just fine. And that that worst case scenario looked more and more likely, I think, day by day. Because like, 
I think you and I both felt that there was no way it was going to be like a complete fuck up, right? Like there was no yeah. way they were just going to like melt trying to make this thing. <laughs> I think some people hate Game Freak so much that they were expecting this to be a travesty. Yeah, this and, got uh, review bombed like before, like weeks before it even came out. Yeah, know? our new favorite website backlogged. Uh, it has should, like a point seven. Like yeah, it's got- you, <laughs> you should go read the reviews on there. The, the backlogged community is uh, brutal about Pokemon in the way that most online communities seem to be because it got review bombed. And uh, honestly, the reality of the thing is like at worst, it's fine. And at best, it's kind of a reminder of why this franchise is the biggest intellectual property on the planet. <laughs> yeah, I think it serves as like a concrete piece of data for me that I do think Pokemon benefits more from a dragon quest approach and i think that it's such a hard thing to do i think that like looking at the two series side by side yeah in terms of like okay dragon quest is known for not changing a lot like everyone knows what they're getting into when a new one comes out but they do change it enough that like if you're talking about dragon quest 5 over 11 those are very distinct experiences totally and that is basically magic like that is so hard (laughs) for anyone to pull off because like and i think there's a reason why that series is the number one jrpg of all time that is like spawned everything else right and i think like every pokemon game i like there are some that i think are exceptional and some that i think are like here's the new one Mm -hmm. but even a here's the new one i enjoy because i like going back to that warm familiar experience and i think that the ones i've liked less are the ones that get kind of busy my favorite still is crystal and i think there's a reason for that because it's the most grounded it's the least concerned with legendaries or even an evil team even more than red was like red gets caught up in stopping the mob from bullying scientists uh (laughs) silver and gold is like even team rocket is like kind of a, a shadow of their former selves it really is just about getting to know a place and exploring like what kind of creatures come out during the night or the day and i think third gen while they do go back to focusing more on the legendaries the legendaries seem more as like an extension of the setting they're almost like the sort of spirit of revenge of the natural world in some ways Mm -hmm. so i think that there's a reason why those games succeed for me more than like you know here's the god of time like i don't need that yeah i'll say i'll say this about about diamond and pearl so far at least where i'm at and i'm you know, again, I don't really remember what's going on plot wise in this stuff um, yeah. or really a lot about the Sinnoh region. But what I have found so far is that although this game I find to be very beautiful and I really like the sense of place that I've uh, I've experienced so far, I do think that there is less of a coherent identity for this region than any, you know, say, say this is just being compared against gens one, two, and three. All of those I think have more cohesive identities than Sinnoh does so far, even red and blue, which is like, that's almost an afterthought that the Kanto region like is an actual just like place that you can hang out. I, I, I think that the Sinnoh region just feels like kind of a mishmash of ideas in a way. Every time I yeah. go visit a new town, it's like, here's the town with all the flowers. It's okay, right. cool. Here's the town that's old as shit. Okay, <laughs> cool. Um, here's the town where every house has three doors. Isn't it? Isn't it wild here? Yeah. <laughs> Which way are you going to go in? <laughs> uh, left, left, middle, left, oh, left. Oh, new guy in town. No one's gone through that door. Uh, anyway. <laughs> But yeah, I mean, even like the gen that came out before this was Ruby <laughs> Sapphire, which like is the complete opposite. Every every town in that game is like breathtaking and inspires like a story. But the thing about it is that every every town has a really unique sense of identity 
but they all collectively create the whole of that region, which I think is really beautiful. Like that. Sure. Yeah. I, I think that that region itself is really great and all the places within it are really great. And Sinnoh, I think as an idea is interesting, right? It's all centered around this giant mountain, but all the towns are kind of like whatever towns. Um, yeah. it, it, it doesn't really track for me, which I think kind of leads me into a thing that I think we're going to talk about a lot later in a later segment but i think that this game is more focused on the overall mechanics of pokemon than it is on anything else and i think that's what you and i are kind of clicking with here is like this game really just kind of is a is a refinement of pokemon as a mechanic showpiece than it is like a flex of narrative weight or anything (laughs) of the sort you know and in retrospect it also feels like you know i think that um when pokemon came to switch there was a lot of like hyperbolic expectation of like what a console pokemon game would be yeah and like you and i really liked sword and shield for what it was worth when that game came out my my take on it was essentially that like it feels like a follow-up to the sort of x and y sun and moon era like it feels like it's part of that catalog for better and for worse you know it's in that sort of collection of games so it has what you want from pokemon but it has also like what it's trying to do and what it's succeeding and failing at you have let's go which is such a warm and welcoming experience in terms of ambiance and setting but it's very different in the mechanics and then rcs is coming out so this is really like the first pokemon game on switch that just pokemon as you know it which we kind of touched on earlier but i do think i think that's why i'm seeing so many people getting it and like enjoying it more than i think anyone thought they would is because like we all just kind of wanted that you know we wanted that like happy meal packed up that we know (laughs) what it is and we know what we're going to get out of it so i think that like if that's your appetite like come this winter you want to go into a familiar experience like this is this is a fantastic game Uh, yeah i think i think it represents like why this series has gone on for so long even though it's like recreating like the fourth best entry (laughs) yeah um Two thoughts branching yeah. off of that. Number one, I do think it's interesting that Pokemon Legends Arceus is technically this region, but way in the past. Yeah. It's kind of interesting that they've chosen to do that. I think that's great from like a marketing perspective. I just think that's interesting. Also, I'm just thinking about like the catalog of Pokemon games on the Switch. Like if you were to pick up a Switch right now and pick one Pokemon game from Let's Go, Brilliant Diamond, Shining Pearl or Sword and Shield, which which would you recommend to people? That's a really big question. I would say if you... Huh. Which is your favorite? How about that? It's too soon to say in terms of Shining Pearl because I'm, I'm like yeah. two hours in and I'm also doing a Nuzlocke of it. So it's like a different experience. <laughs> but I would say I think Sword and Shield was like getting close to brilliance, but sort of um, like tripped on itself a bit. I think it like falls into sort of familiar pitfalls that the series falls into with like the cataclysmic setting and all that i thought they were really onto something with the gym leaders and like yeah that is the one game where i remember the gym leaders and i know like their personalities and like wanted to learn more about them totally and i thought that the the setting of galar was really beautiful and the wild area was a really cool idea it's a little bit messy in execution if it was like you're playing like second life on a windows 98 like people are kind of blipping in and out of existence and yeah as soon as you said it's kind of messy in execution i immediately imagined all of the hours of great british bake-off you've watched (laughs) for some reason you like really channeled paul hollywood for about (laughs) one second in that moment texture's okay looks a mess i'm not getting the cherry at all shame (laughs) underwhelmed i love it like (laughs) there's always at the star baker where he goes like it's okay you know and they're like oh fuck ah shit yeah, I think uh, <laughs> I would say, honestly, like, I wouldn't be surprised if my answer is eventually Shining Pearl, Brilliant Diamond. I think it really depends what you want out of it. I think that I would probably 
recommend Shining Pearl Brilliant Diamond over Sword and Shield, if I had to guess. Yeah. Which seems kind of a wild thing to say. I'm kind of already there. Yeah. Honestly, but I do think that my my secret favorite, not so secret favorite, is Let's Go still. Yeah. Um, I, I would just be very interested. I'm I'm kind of curious to go and revisit those games, like re-download them and just pick up my save file and see how I feel about them still. Cause I think those games were great. And although a lot of people talked about them when they came out because they were kind of like the, oh, this will hold you over until the new generation drops. I do think that the more interesting ideas were there, even though they're including the Pokemon Go capture mechanic and and battle system. It was still a huge departure in a way that I think was kind of a big risk for them. Yeah, I think the the ability to like ride Pokemon in town and the way they sort of like brought Kanso to life was so great. The one big caveat for me is like, the go mechanics are fine, but they sort of um it it's never really what I wanted it to be. And then the battles feel like really scaled back. Like it feels like there there are a lot of mechanics that are not present in that game that are in like silver and gold. So, you know, like there's no yeah, yeah. uh there's no natures, there's no like it, it feels like um like it I think that game could be a really great introduction to Pokemon for a much younger audience. Um or it could be just a very chill, like completely turn your brain off experience. Um, but I think if you want Pokemon as it's usually defined, I would point to to these remakes, honestly. I think. Yeah, it's kind of surprising. Yeah. I think I think you can tell so quickly if, if these are going to click with you or not. Yeah, um, I kind of wish that they had a demo for these available so people could try them out. But yeah, um, at the moment, I, I recommend it. I'm really enjoying it. I think I'm like seven or eight hours in and uh, my team is fucking awesome. <laughs> and uh, I love them. I love them dearly. I started with Turtwig. Oh, nice. Yeah, I, ch- I chose Chimchar. I-, I won the lottery in my Nuzlocke run, which for those who don't know what that is, it's essentially a way of playing Pokemon where you can only catch the first Pokemon you encounter in every new area. And whenever a Pokemon of yours faints, there's permadeath like Fire Emblem. So they're gone for good. You have to put them in the PC and never use them again. Yeah. So I caught an Abra. <laughs> which is like, <laughs> It's hard to do even if you're not playing in this bizarre yeah. way. Uh, so I'm like, I'm good like we're set when i found the abra my voice cracked like eight octaves i was like fully (laughs) eight years old again uh it it was a joy so i think um i'm gonna keep streaming that it was the only reason i'm not farther because i didn't want to play off stream but uh yeah i'm I'm having a great time with it i'm also pleasantly surprised i was expecting it to be like oh this is cute and then move on but like this is shaping up to be one of the best experiences to have like on the switch you know and again i i like sword and shield and i liked let's go but i think this is just sort of Reminding me what I want from Pokemon subjectively. Yeah, I'll say this just for you doing a Nuzlocke and also for listeners who are kind of on the fence about it, you know, for any myriad reasons. I have found as a person who has been grinding in a lot of RPGs recently that I am always a little bit under leveled in this game in a way I wasn't expecting, even with the forced experience share, um, which I know is turning a lot of people off, which whatever. I mean, everybody gets experience. It's how like a lot of RPGs work these days. Yeah, I like it because it means I have to grind less. But even with that, I have found that I'm always a little bit under leveled for stuff, even with access to the underground. I still find that I'm a little bit under leveled. I think you'll be surprised when you go to the underground for the first time, how hardcore the Pokemon are down there compared to where you're at. Like be prepared. This, yeah. That's the warning for you is like, be Can't prepared wait to lose someone down there. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. going to be fucked up. I also like the first thing I ran into down there was uh, a Murkrow, which is just like a crow. It's like a dark type flying type bird. And I wasted 35 Pokeballs trying to catch it and could not. Uh, so just like, Get ready for whatever is going on down there. 
because it's very strange. It's a weird place. The rule I added for my for my Nuzlocke run is that um, every time I get a new badge, I can catch one Pokemon from the underground. Because I nice. was like, do I count the underground or not? And I'm like, there's so little variety in this game that I think that would just be fun. Because like, yeah. it really, it really is like you got Bidoof, Shinx, Starly, uh, the <laughs> Otter, and Geo Dude for like the first 20 hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I th- I think it's good that you started with Chimchar. Because yes. you're really going to want a fire type. That's like the big complaint about this generation is that there are almost no fire types when you need them. Right. I went down into the underground and caught a Houndoom, which is a dark oh, fire type. Oh, yeah. And it has not learned any fire moves and it was not helpful <laughs> at all for the grass gym. So, uh, whatever. The underground didn't help me as much as I thought it was. I have read a lot of reviews that were like the underground throws off the balance of the game from like a leveling perspective and a challenge perspective, et cetera, et cetera. I have not found that to be the case really at all. Thanks for nothing, Hound Doom. <laughs> I also think a good like quality of life improvement is that HMs are like tied to your like uh, Poke Watch or something. So you don't yeah. have to like teach Badoof. I mean, Badoof was like the guy to learn surf cut <laughs> rock smash he could learn it all so totally. he was the atlas for the team i named my badoof the prophet who just knows all and and watches the adventure mm-hmm. like the greek choir <laughs> but uh but you don't do that anymore so that's good yeah the quality of life stuff is good in this game it has auto save now which is nice yeah Just, you know uh also uh one of the big things from the original diamond and pearl was every time you saved it would be like saving a lot of data <laughs> oh yeah I and, that. and then would wow. take forever uh and that's not the case anymore i just yet. got a visceral flashback of like 15 year old steven playing pearl in the kitchen with like <laughs> some rerun on a crtv in the corner and yeah. like seeing that saving a lot wheel <laughs> I remember like that year of high school, all like the really cool scene kids played Pokemon like in class and like, yeah, the dude that like everyone had a crush on, like taught me Eevee training, um, <laughs> which is just such a bizarre experience. But uh, he was like, do you Eevee train? I'm like, yeah, I have Jolteon. And he's like, no, 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 you don't know what I'm talking about. I'll teach you. <laughs> I love that. Time. Yeah. Oh, we got to talk about the strange old lady who gives you a Mew. So like <laughs> for, yes. for those youngsters listening. Who are like, who are these two boomers talking about Diamond and Pearl like it came out yesterday? Well, back in my day, uh, Mew was essentially like a rumor turned like limited edition malware that like (laughs) never really officially existed. The only way to get Mew on Red and Blue, uh, which is the 151 Pokemon, uh, Mewtwo was cloned off Mew's data. Uh, or DNA, you had to either like win a contest that happened in like 1998 and, and Nintendo like put Mew onto your game, or you could do like a strange Masigno glitch that like made one of your Pokemon into Mew, but then the music of the game changed and like you couldn't save. Yeah. Very bizarre. Now, if you just have Let's Go Pikachu, an old lady is like, here's a Mew. I just had this one. It hasn't helped me much. Here's a god just in passing. Here's yes. a Kubrickian space baby that I don't want anymore. And if you have Pokemon Sword and Shield data on your Switch as well, she's standing next to an old guy who just gives you Jirachi. Who's like another Mew, basically. Yeah, just like another legendary god. I took them both and put them in my box, and I'm just not going to think about them for a while, was my thought. <laughs> How does that factor into your Nuzlocke? I can't use a Mew with conscience. <laughs> I'm going to put... I'm, I should have named Mew the Prophet and just kept them in the box and like have them sort of as the overseer. Oh, the yeah. Adventure. That's great. Um, maybe I'll name them the False Prophet or something. I don't know. We'll figure <laughs> it out. But uh, I, I think Mew will be... Uh, 
in in the uh, in the deposit box somewhere. Yeah, because uh, I do. My thing is, if I fail the Nuzlocke run, I'm just gonna revert to playing normally on my own. Yeah, totally. So like, I'll have a box that just has like everyone ready to go in it. So me will be there when either I'm victorious or I failed. They will be uh, waiting for me to comfort me. In That's my great. Woes. Yeah. yeah, I was I was doing an unintentional Nuzlocke as I tend to do for a little while, and then I as soon as I got access to the underground, I was like, no, 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 no Nuzlocke, and I just caught everything <laughs> I could find. Um, I honestly am glad to hear that the underground is hardcore because I was not that I'm worried it's going to be easy because at the worst case scenario, it's just like a fun stream. We'll see the game together. Yeah. Uh, but I was I do want some drama. Like if you want some <laughs> drama, my Emerald Nuzlocke is just red wedding after red wedding of of loss and grief. <laughs> yeah. This one so far is off to a pretty happy start, but you want to balance. You know? that's, yeah, that's how they all start, though. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. We'll see what happens. But yeah, I mean, these games are a joy. I think uh, I'm, I'm a big fan. Uh, much, much more into it than I thought I was going to be. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Um, I'm really enjoying it. I've played a lot more already than I thought I would, and I will probably keep playing a lot more. We got to trade Cadabras to evolve them into Alakazams. Yes. Make I just got that. a Cadabra earlier. Oh, hell uh, yeah. A couple hours ago. So I'm, oh, yeah. I'm down for that. Cool. Nice. But that said, I think we should take a break and come back and talk about more stuff. That sounds good to me. See you soon. Goodbye. Bye-bye. Steven. Hi. It's the 20th anniversary of the Xbox. Do you know what The Rock is cooking? Halo, halo. It's the Microsoft Xbox. You got it right. Xbox did a stream the other day where they uh, just kind of did like a 20th anniversary thing. Rumors yeah. abound for that event. Uh, I live streamed it. That's available on our YouTube as well. It was really fun. I like doing that. I like doing little mini live streams for... Yeah, they're fun to watch. On top of other live streams. I think that's fun. But anyway, they announced a bunch of stuff in there, um, some of which was expected, some of which was unexpected. Uh, it wasn't like a huge thing. They said up front, like, we're not announcing new games, so like, don't get excited for that it's mostly just kind of like a big fucking ad for the fact that like we're an actual player in the video game space because i think even to this day even for people like you and i who grew up before the microsoft era of consoles there's still at least for me there's this little piece of my brain that's like oh they're the little baby they're just getting started (laughs) it's like they're not they've been around for 20 years i think i think the 360 was the first time it felt like equal footing across the board Mm -hmm. but that generation just felt like everyone was kind of doing like their own thing but then that kind of shifted with the next generation yeah but I, I i do think this this stream kind of sealed in my head i i think the legacy that xbox has brought to the landscape of video games I, I think specifically and i had kind of forgotten this but the original xbox was also the launch of xbox live which was like just the easiest way of playing games online with your friends yeah. like the before xbox live era of online play was a nightmare yeah. uh, getting the network adapter for ps2 to play like siphon filter or splinter cell pandora tomorrow it was literally like getting a mew like i'm it's <laughs> yeah. i'm not even trying to make it full circle it just it was that arbitrary and difficult it yeah. was bizarre it was a really bizarre experience um i remember playing a lot of tribes 2 online and uh it just like it just wasn't fun or easy really at any point and xbox live like really made that work uh in a totally. way 
in a way that like even what we were talking about with uh pokemon diamond and pearl in that era like nintendo was trying to catch up for like years and years and years after that sony kind of figured it out when the ps3 came around yeah uh with the playstation network but but xbox like really figured it out at launch and that was pretty wild because it launched with halo that was like the way to play halo and that it was very impressive it was a very impressive situation but this stream had a bunch of stuff chief among them for me was um they added like 70 something backwards compatible games from the 360 and xbox era uh there's some really good stuff in there they also said that's the last drop of those that they're gonna do which is a little bit of a bummer but their reasoning was like from a licensing perspective every single one of these games is a fucking nightmare to get on the storefront so it's kind of like out of our hands at this point like we've done as much as we could with our licensing partners to make this happen which i understand yeah Um, and the thing worth noting with that specific point is like the store was already pretty impressive with the backwards compatibility like, yes i got soul caliber 2 is like my first series s game like <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in there that yeah. is from sort of that first xbox 360 era and also on game pass so like it's a very low bar but microsoft is so clearly the only like major video game company that like cares about preserving that kind of stuff which yeah. is unfortunate but also cool to see that they're actually doing something about it yeah totally they they also have been doing a thing where they've been adding what they call fps boost to games so like games that were 30 frames per second can be played up to 60 frames per second etc etc um sometimes they'll do some like texture up resing situations which you and i commented on when talking about final fantasy 13 which is like a stunning video game if you play it on the new generation yeah, of xbox it's, it's really beautiful yeah it's really wild but uh they said that they're going to continue adding FPS boosts to all of these games. So some of them got them, some of them didn't, but they're going to continue to try and get all the backwards compatible games with the FPS boost, which is nice. Oblivion got it. But they added it to Oblivion, which is the big thing. And so did Dragon Age Origins. Yes. Which is fantastic. That is very exciting. I played a little bit of it just to check it out, and it's good. You know, it's... what. <laughs> It's it's Oblivion, but um, a little more uncanny, which honestly I think is messing yeah. with the fine balance of the Elder Scrolls four. Yeah, but, but uh, it it works. Oblivion is like split pea soup in the fridge. Like if you add salt and pepper to it, it's still gonna be that. Like, yeah, <laughs> which I, I say with full like Oblivion is one of my favorite games of all time. But yeah, you're, the, you you want to keep the uncanniness. You want to keep the imperfections of that game. Yeah. But at the end of the stream, they did the thing that was like much rumored. Everybody was kind of going and expecting it, but it took so long in the stream. People were freaking out in chat, not <laughs> not in our chat, in like the, the Xbox chat. Uh, our chat was very normal. <laughs> but where the fuck is the Arbiter? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, they <laughs> announced uh, and released the Halo Infinite multiplayer like that minute. Uh, it went oh, yeah. live like immediately. Yeah. And I have played a lot of it. I really, really, really like the way Halo Infinite is shaping up at the moment from a multiplayer perspective. I haven't, I don't really know how I feel about the campaign that's coming next month. Um, I think like early to mid next month. The stuff I've seen about it kind of feels a little bit um, like Elden Ring minus the thought. Uh, not to be like too harsh, but like Elden Ring is kind of, we're taking the thing you like and we're making it Breath of the Wild, uh, but we're going to sure. like really think about what that means and and adapt all of our systems to kind of match that. Um, yeah. So you're still getting like the FromSoft level game that you're expecting, but it's inspired by Breath of the Wild. And that's really wonderful. Halo Infinite doesn't seem to be that from what I've gathered so far. And I would like to be proven wrong when the game comes out and it'll be on Game Pass and it's great uh, and I will play it. But it does seem like we put Halo in an open world and we didn't really consider like why if we're just yeah. doing it 
I think we're at a kind of a crossroads with open world games in general where like I think it's it's yet another thing that's not inherently good or bad, but it needs to be there for a reason. Yes. And I think the good open world games are ones that are like built around that fact. But the ones that are just like doing it because that's the thing to do always feel like spread thin or kind of bloated in some ways. Yeah. Um, we talk about this a lot on our Skyrim bonus, if I remember correctly, like that idea of totally of balance and intention. Yeah. yeah. One of the things that I do find interesting about Halo Infinite from a from a single player perspective is that they said that this is also going to be like the basis for more campaigns. Like they're going to continue mm. adding more campaigns to this game. So maybe, you know, they'll have this one and it's like an open world experiment and it, maybe it goes fine. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, but eventually there will be another campaign that they'll also add to this. Uh, it is Halo Infinite after all. We thought we finished the fight. Uh with halo 3 but uh, <laughs> i guess not anyway all of that said the multiplayer is out and the multiplayer is really good and i don't really have a lot to say about it outside of like it just feels like halo um and if yeah. you've missed what halo feels like it's here my experience with halo over the years has kind of been mixed like i liked it on the 360 i played halo 1 and 2 at friends houses that had the original xbox halo 3 on the 360 i thought was really great played a lot on xbox live halo reach i loved halo odst i loved played a lot of those not really from like a story perspective as much i mean odst and reach yes from a story perspective i think those are the only two that have like actually really good campaigns yeah but reach was kind of the high point of multiplayer for me for a while that was the one that had almost like call of duty level progression where as you continue to play matches and like do good stuff in matches you would unlock new pieces of armor so you had like this really great control over the customization of your spartan and how you looked in combat and i i just think that that's always fun when you're oh, yeah. being rewarded with uh cosmetic stuff like that you know which has now a decade removed from that been twisted into a nightmare homunculus of monetization <laughs> but right, right. Uh, at the time reach was really wonderful and then 343 studios took over the halo franchise and made halo 4 which to me was kind of like I, I would compare it to Star Wars The Force Awakens is like, OK, Disney buys Star Wars. They go to make a new Star Wars and it is literally just like, hey, look, we can make Star Wars. Yeah. Which I like The Force Awakens. I think it's a pretty good movie. And I kind of liked Halo 4 at the time. I was like, yeah, this is impressive. You made a Halo. You're not the team that made Halo, but you made a Halo and it feels like <laughs> Halo and that's pretty cool. The story is nonsense. I mean, the story is not yeah. good or interesting. Even like playing it with friends, I was like. I'm not getting the thing that I want out of this. And the multiplayer was also like equally like fine. Like it felt kind of like Halo, but it had some like real drawbacks. And uh, I, I think it was it put more pressure on Halo 5 and that came out. And this is a thing I think about all the time. And I, th I think about it with Halo. I think about it a lot with Pokemon. I think about it a lot with most franchises. I think Call of Duty and Battlefield currently are really interesting ones to kind of look at through this lens. But like I'm always curious about fandoms of games and where like certain bits of vernacular come from and where certain certain opinions just kind of like simmer throughout online communities and how everyone just kind of agrees on a base level take about a thing without really questioning it. Halo 5, I don't think is a very good campaign. I, I didn't think it was very interesting, but I loved the Halo 5 multiplayer. I was so surprised by how much I liked it to the point that I bought an Xbox One just to play the Halo 5 multiplayer by myself. I didn't know anybody else with an Xbox at that point in that generation, but I bought one just so I could like wind down after a long day playing Halo the way I used to because Halo 5 just felt that good. Yeah. I loved it a lot. And if you go and look at a conversation about Halo 5, everybody's like, this sucks. This is terrible. This doesn't feel like Halo. I can aim down sights. This is terrible. Oh my God. What do you mean the B button boosts me to the left or right? Like you can do like a dodge. <laughs> 
um, this isn't Halo. This is shit. It's like, no, it actually it feels a lot like Halo. It feels really good. And they've just added a couple more mechanics to kind of modernize the thing. I thought it was really fun. I had a really good time with it. And I find it very interesting because Halo Infinite feels almost exactly the same. They just removed the jump jets that shoot you left or right. But you can get them as a pickup. You can get them as a thing in game. You can pick them up and then use them. So it's still there. But everybody seems to be like, yes, Halo Infinite has great multiplayer. And it feels exactly like Halo 5 to me. Just, you know, improved in, uh, I would say, a, a couple very specific ways. And I'm having a great time with it. And the community seems to be having a great time with it. And I think going back to what I was talking about, about like community vernacular and community opinions, I'm always curious how that happens. Like, I'm always curious, like, why yeah. the, fa- the Halo fan base was like, Halo 5 is terrible, but Halo Infinite is great when they're so similar and by the same team. But I'm glad that they like it because it means that the matches are full. It's also free and on Game Pass. So, like, you know. Yeah, that might be also a big factor as yeah. well. So but Halo like- 5 was as well. So. Oh, was it? Yeah. When did 5 come out? Uh, at some point in the Xbox One generation. I mean, like, it eventually got added to Game Pass. Like, it was eventually Oh, there. I see, I see. Gotcha. Thought it was more recent. Yeah, my my experience with Halo is is uh, very much like I'm at a friend's house in middle school. Vibe. Totally, yeah. Uh, like I I think I played mostly two. I was the one person who thought the Arbiter was cooler than the Spartan, so <laughs> yeah. I was always an Arbiter. Uh, <laughs> yeah, or whatever the the aliens that the Arbiter was. I think the Arbiter the Covenant. Was a character. The Covenant. Yeah, I was a big Covenant head. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I was also like so bad at that game. Like, I don't know what it was. Like, yeah. I never, ever did well. So it was very much like I got the opposite experience of like when you and I play Smash and I don't shut up and I'm like winning. <laughs> I had the opposite where I'm talking with a friend and I'm, I'm just hearing like splattered, you know, yeah. seeing, seeing my my covenant guy just spiraling here. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know, eighth grade's coming up. It's exciting. Um <laughs> But uh, I always enjoyed it. It always felt kind of weirdly relaxing. I think also, I mean, you can't credit Halo enough for like kind of revolutionizing console shooters, at least like that. Oh, like, yeah. Before Halo, it really was Goldeneye. And like right. Goldeneye has not really aged very well in terms of like just how it feels to play. Yeah. So I, I think the Halo, I respect Halo a lot, but I've never really like felt part of the community and i never really had like a huge interest in it but i'm excited it's on game pass i'll definitely pick it up and play it yeah yeah i i think the multiplayer is worth it if you are i don't i don't know like are you are you like a first person shooter online person not as much these days right except for overwatch yeah i i I really got into overwatch uh like in 2017 and like got weirdly good at it and i also got really into splatoon those are really the two shooters and tf2 as well so like I think you can definitely connect the dots between like what I like in yes. a shooting game based on uh, those. I would also say Left 4 Dead. So I think I'm. It seems that I'm more drawn to like team based games that are mm-hmm. that are more about I guess like character and atmosphere than like strictly the the mechanics. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, yeah. for, for that reason, like I don't know if I'd recommend that you pick up Halo Infinite multiplayer. Yeah. Um, maybe when the campaign comes out, we could play it together. Like if it yeah. is reviewed well and people like it, I would be interested to do that. But I think it's. I think they also said it's not launching with campaign multiplayer like they're adding that later so i don't know maybe one day you and i can play that together that'd be fun but uh oh yeah that'd be fun anyway i know i didn't talk about what it's like to play halo infinite multiplayer really at all in this segment i just like it i just think it's good um i've been streaming it a little bit uh on our twitch tune in if you want to see what it's like i like it i'm gonna keep playing it that's kind of it this feels like the 2006 revival segments where it's just like two games that are good and they're exactly as they were back then basically (laughs) yeah yeah that's pretty much it yeah yeah (laughs) the the thousands are back baby yeah 
That's great. I'm glad you're enjoying it. Yeah. Uh, download it. Halo. Uh, finish the fight forever. What do you want me to say? My opinions on the flood? <laughs> on Cortana? On, on the Arbiter? Um, I remember there was one alien that was like, <laughs> in the first one. I, think that's, I remember like, <laughs> that was kind of fun. But that's really where my attention was at at that time in my life. And now. Let's be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I just got a flashback I, when I visited home last. My mom was bringing up some story about me as a kid, and she was like, "You never, like, you never stopped. We would go out to eat, and, and we would say, use your restaurant voice, like, stop.' <laughs> use your screaming. restaurant voice. I've never heard that uh, before. That's really and, good. And I said, "Well, when did I chill out?" And she said, "You never chilled out." <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I learned. I learned that there's not so much different about me than yeah. I was in 2003. I guess. Yeah, your restaurant voice is your always voice. Yeah, even when I whisper, like my voice carries no matter what. So it's still like, oh, no, no, no. it's just a different, it's just creepy. Yeah. It's a, it's a <laughs> Bloodborne NPC. Anyway, um, you want to move on? Yeah, let's take a quick break. All right. What, what's the flood? Are they the covenant? No. <laughs> they're right, uh, they're like out. little, like a little virus, like a little parasite. Oh, uh, all right. What if I get really into the lore and like, that's it? So Dude, like, you there's have, a whole like... collection of books you can go read. <laughs> you could. Hell Yeah. I've heard I've heard that the books are interesting in that they kind of question the like over militarization yeah. glorification of the mainline franchise. Like the books are actually interested in like maybe it sucks yeah. that we've experimented on all these people and turned them into genetically modified super soldiers to take over the galaxy in Earth's favor. Like maybe that's not good. <laughs> it doesn't sound great. Yeah. Maybe the needler was a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> We shouldn't have brought a needler to Space UN, you know? That was a bad call, John. Anyway. Goodbye. Is his name John Master Chief? We've got to move on. Let's go. Yeah, his name is John Master Chief. His He's actually, um, oh man, what is, it's, uh, never mind. Let's just move on. Goodbye. <laughs> Wait, you can't leave me with that. His name is Master Chief Petty Officer John 117. Really? Petty yes. Officer? Yeah. Insulting. It's apparently a Navy thing. Well, they call me the chief petty officer, too. (laughs) (laughs) Gotta move on. Goodbye. Bye. (laughs) Hello, welcome back. Steven, I want to tell you about another game that I've been playing a lot, a lot of um, in anticipation of our Nintendo DS bonus next next year. (laughs) (laughs) The season five premiere. Yeah, it's going to be in June. Yeah. So we got a while. We're preparing. So excited for for spooky season next year. I think it's going to be great. (laughs) Finally play Inscription when it gets ported to something. I've been playing, uh, again, also just like on my on my uh, God-given journey of bringing all these games to the show. I've been playing Dragon Quest IX, Sentinels of the Starry Skies for the Nintendo DS. That's that's a good name. That's one of the better subtitles. Yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah it's some like alliteration. It's got a little rhyming there. It's It really has it all. Um, yeah. I wasn't planning on bringing this game to the show. For a long time, but I've gotten like past a point narratively that kind of made me really want to once it started to click. I I think just like thematically, it was Mm. like, oh, no, I should probably talk about this because I I actually started playing this even before we had uh, planned on doing the Nintendo DS bonus. I started playing it, uh, I would say, like on my 3DS a while back. Was enjoying it a lot, but just kind of as like a quiet, like for Brendan game. Like it was just for me. I'm just playing this like under the covers. Uh, But 
I think this game is really fascinating. I've seen it like in rankings of Dragon Quest games, kind of lower than most for some people. But for a lot of people, and this is what I was kind of surprised by, this came out in 2009. This was like a lot of people's entry points into RPGs Mm. as a genre. For a lot of people who had like either grown up just playing Pokemon or whatever, like this was the first kind of more hardcore RPG that got people hooked on the genre. And if you go and read reviews of this, like on Backlogged or anywhere else, there are a lot of people, or just like in forums or whatever, people talking about it. There are a lot of people who speak very highly of this game from a place of pure nostalgia, just because they loved it so much growing up. Yeah. And I was really curious to find out why, because early on, the game is is bananas when you start it. It is like so wild. You start the game and you are an angel in a society mm. of angels angels uh your job specifically is to look over a small like village you're the angel of like the waterfall or like the spirit of the waterfall that kind of like oversees this village and make sure that nobody gets hurt or whatever you're like literally a guardian angel for these people and every time you help people you get this little like kind of crystal called uh, benevolence uh <laughs> where i love that it's great you and then you bring it back up to what is pretty much heaven uh and there's a whole society of angels there and as you speak to all of them, you know, to deliver this benevolence, it's very clear that the angels, the Celestrians, as they're called in this game, kind of look down upon humanity, which I think is interesting. Mm. There, there are a couple conversations that you can have with just a couple of them here and there. It's pretty densely populated, but I made sure to talk to everybody because that's how you're supposed to play these games. Yeah. There, there's a couple here and there that are like kind of like turning their nose up at, at humanity. They're like, I can't believe we have to look over these people. Like, this is our job. Like, we just have to like, you know, we have these sniveling people down below that, you know, can't take a punch and we have to save them. Like, why? We're so much better than them. And I was like, this feels a little fascist adjacent this doesn't feel very good um i don't like this and uh your whole thing is that you deliver this benevolence to yggdrasil the world tree um which makes another appearance in this game and uh very quickly yggdrasil and heaven is bombed by a train packed with explosives and from what i understand so far Almost everyone dies. All the angels die except you. Your wings get ripped off in the blast, uh, burn up, and you like crash land in the village that you used to look over. And it cuts to like years later after you've healed and you're just kind of like a person who lives in the village. And everybody's like, it's kind of weird that you have the same name as the spirit of our village, huh? (laughs) And I was like, this is the wildest hour and a half of video game I've played in any Dragon Quest so far. (laughs) Like, this is such a bizarre conceit. Yeah, compare that to eight where it's like you're just in a wagon for the first couple hours. Or five, which I'm also playing in which you're a four year old who can't read. Yeah, just exploring. Yeah, exactly. And your dad has to kill things for you because the world is dangerous and you can't do shit. Yeah. yeah, exactly. This was like nonsense. I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know why people like this game so much. What I've started to learn over the course of like the next, I would say, 10 to 15 hours is, first of all, I think this game was really notable kind of around the same or for the same reasons as Pokemon Diamond and Pearl in that it had a really heavy focus on network play, like had a really heavy focus on playing online oh, with friends. And what I love about this game and I find very interesting is that it's hearkening back to like Final Fantasy one and Dragon Quest like one through three 
I guess one specifically, where you recruit members for your party. So you're not actually building a party the same way you would in future Dragon Quest games or other Dragon Quest games where you're running around and eventually the story takes you to a person who has goals that align with yours and they join your team or whatever. It's not like Dragon Quest V where it's kind of Pokemon adjacent and you're capturing or uh, I guess convincing monsters to join you, um, et cetera, et cetera. You literally just go to an inn and you're like, I kind of need a like a priest to join me so they can heal me a whole lot. And the innkeeper is like, I know a bunch of priests. Yeah, there's like eight priests in the back yeah. room. <laughs> they booked the place. You yeah. Take your pick. Uh, yeah. And then it launches you into a character <laughs> customization thing. And then you just build a priest, essentially. And, and, then they, <laughs> and then they join your team. They run through the door. They're so stoked to meet you. They're like, yeah, I'll come along. And then they just join you, which at first I thought was kind of silly because I've never liked that in old school RPGs that I've played. Like, I've never found that to be very compelling. I get why they do it, because they're trying to recreate like the Dungeons and Dragons atmosphere yeah. in this RPG. RPG, but something about this game, it really, really works for me. I immediately like spawned all of these storylines. Like, this is why this thief is here with me. This is why this warrior is here with me. This is why this priest is here with me. And I've really grown close to these random people that I've literally created <laughs> out of nothing. Yeah. Like it. It like kind of reminds angel. me of Wildermyth almost, where you're given yes. that sort of blank slate that you can edit over time and and kind of put your own story on top of i mean wildermyth even lets you like the game will auto populate like the character's backstory based on what's happened in the game yeah but you can also just go in and edit it and write it yourself and it sounds like you're just sort of doing that like you know in your head while you're playing this yes it gets it gets the closest to kind of a DD experience in that way yeah but also as i i guess as a as a vessel for revisiting those old ideas from the original games i think it's very i think it's like a really cool and modern take on it even now I think it's novel to play this kind of game. But going through the story on top of that, it's very clear that everything that this game is trying to do is about like preconceptions and kind of turning mm. your head in another direction when you when you have some kind of preconception. And I, I haven't really gotten to a point where it's really paid off on the like some of the Celestrians think he, humans are shitty. Uh, it hasn't really gotten to that aspect yet but like most dragon quest games the story is comprised of kind of vignettes almost you know almost like season arcs of, a, of an anime yeah in that way so like the the first one for example you run into this town and everybody is quaking in their boots totally freaked out about this guy named the white knight who shows up and just like destroys the town essentially he's just he just like goes on a rampage and they're like we saw him take his helmet off and he's like a dead guy he's like an undead skeleton in this like beautiful armor who just comes and like wants to steal our princess away and the more you talk to people the more you realize like the white knight has only shown up once and he actually didn't destroy anything it's very confusing so you have oh, to wow. go out and find him and you do and you just like have a conversation with the guy and he's like pretty normal <laughs> Uh, and uh, I don't want to spoil the rest of how that goes, but like that's the kind of story that they're telling over and over and over again. And I found it to be very interesting um, because as we talked about with Pokemon Diamond and Pearl and pretty much all of the Pokemon franchise and Dragon Quest and all of our episodes about Dragon Quest, this is a franchise that doesn't change very much. But when they do, it's like for very specific reasons. You described it earlier in this episode is literally magic when they're able to like completely switch up a formula, but still have a feel exactly like you want a Dragon Quest to feel. Yeah. The thing that I find interesting about this game is thematically, it's also very interested in asking the question, why do people want this to be the same every time? Oh, interesting. Even yeah. going so far as to revisit old mechanics from old games and almost present them in a new way. So this idea 
idea of going and like building your party from scratch. It kind of takes on new life when you have more control over like what they look like and who they are and what their name is instead of just going into a random inn in Dragon Quest one and just like recruiting a warrior because you need one. I find that this game is really scratching a lot of itches that I I didn't really even know I, I needed scratched. <laughs> um, I, I think it's a, I think it's a big bummer that I can't access the online in any meaningful capacity. I think that's sure. like the biggest thing is like I would love to be able to play this game with friends. And from what I know of this game, it also is like almost endless. And I haven't figured out why yet, but I imagine there's like some huge end game scenario yeah. um, that probably has something to do with like unlocking skill points and like collecting all the armor and et cetera, et cetera, just like a kind of collect-a-thon situation. But from what I know of this game, they add a bunch of dungeons that they kind of prioritize you crawling through with your friends and, you know, your party and your friend's party. And oh, that's uh, cool. just like fighting bigger and badder monsters to try and get better armor and loot by by the end game. And that seems really fun. It's like unfortunate that that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. And I now understand a little bit more about why people want this game to get remade or at least ported so badly just to like bring that aspect of the game back because it does feel like it's missing it a little bit. But overall, this is this is a game that I, I kept going back to. I would sit down and play for like a half an hour to an hour and be like, I don't know if I'm going to go back to this. Like, maybe that's it for me and Dragon Quest nine. And then I like would get it, you know, next time I would sit down, it would be like an hour. Next time I would sit down, it'd be like an hour and a half. Next time I would sit down, it'd be like two hours. It's really growing on me in a way I wasn't expecting. I was kind of almost happy to be like, oh, I get to throw this one out. Like I, I played enough <laughs> of it that I, I know I don't really need to you know, sink that much time into it. But uh, it's working for me in a big way. So I'm excited for you to play it. I think you're really going to like it. Yeah, me too. That that and seven, you definitely sold me on. I, I currently only have uh, four only. I have four, <laughs> five, eight, and 11. 11, I, I have basically done everything. I think I, yeah. like I didn't platinum it, but I, I did everything that was there. Right. Uh, unless you want me to win every possible casino item, I basically <laughs> 100% of that game. And I did have a good like five hours that were just the casino. I weirdly enjoyed gambling in Dragon Quest Eleven. Yeah, the staple. It's it's such a great series, and I think you mentioned how kind of modern Nine feels, and I think like you can go back to Five and it still feels like such a fresh take on such a known genre, yeah. even in itself. Totally. It's it's magic. Yeah. I mean, I'm playing so many Dragon Quest games simultaneously right now, um, and, yeah. they, and they... I think the reason that that's possible and the reason I don't feel burnt out on the franchise at all is because they all really have their own identity. Um, yeah. And I think this one by itself, just not even having party members that you come across and, and have join your party is like a kind of huge risk to like make a Dragon Quest game that is actually built to be a mostly single player experience. It's kind of fascinating. Uh, and, and, and I can't wait to see where it goes. Yeah. And I wonder if it's kind of a lesson Pokemon can learn where it's like if Pokemon wants to change it up, they can change it up in ways that don't have to be big, you know, because I think the differences between Dragon Quest games are sort of like specific like that where it's like this one has player made party members instead of like a predetermined cast or yeah. this one is about uh recruiting monsters like pokemon like this game is just about like i don't know being part of a team or something or mm -hmm. you know it could be it could be like that it doesn't have to be this here's the new legendary but um yeah i also wonder how much creative control there even is there because at a certain point it's like you have to make the new thing for the new merchandise and the new cards and yeah all that kind of stuff so yeah. but uh yeah dragon quest is good have you heard about it <laughs> You should check it out. We sometimes do this when recording this show where like we will determine what games we're talking about for an episode and then we'll find out the thematic link while we're recording. Yeah. And I think that this one has a weird like early 2000s, the balance of staying the same and changing things up. Yeah. As a subtext. 
in the break, I was talking about how I was thinking about bringing this game up, but I wasn't really sure. And then I realized as we continued talking about Halo and Pokemon Diamond and Pearl and what we're talking about next, that weirdly Dragon Quest Nine yeah. is the bridge between all of them. Speaking of angels that think lowly of humanity, you guessed it. It's Shimigami Tensei Five. You started playing this last week and you brought it to the show. Yeah. And you kind of sold me on it. I, I was not certain... I was going to pick this game up. I'm a huge Persona fan and I had played a little bit of Nocturne, very similar to your experience. Like I, I'm mm-hmm. a big Persona fan, played a little bit of Nocturne when it was ported to the Switch, like respected it from a distance, but didn't really feel pulled in. And I, I was sort of expecting to feel a similar way with five where I'm like, I don't know if this game kind of has what I want from Persona. And I also know that a big conversation we had last week was that even though they are in the same series overall, very different games, very different target audiences, I think, and very different experiences. Yeah. You know, I think that it is really all they share are like similar combat and a lot of monster design. But like, I think that there is Persona 5 is a game that I, I consider like one of my all time favorites. It's the game that got me back into video games in a big way. I've, I've mentioned that many times. Um, and I think that Persona 5 is the type of RPG that I could recommend to pretty much anyone, even if they have no interest in the genre, because it is just so charming and gripping narratively. Like the the music and the characters, there's a lot of vulnerability in the storytelling, the, the places the story goes, and five especially with like, the topics that are covered and the theme of rebellion on a personal and societal level. Um, I think that can resonate with a lot of people, even if they've never played Dragon Quest or Pokemon or whatever. Yeah. Whereas Shimagami Tensei is like very much just focused on the RPG side of things as I knew it. So I'm like, okay, I know my interest in games. I know that like, even though I know they're different series, I said last week, I set myself up. I was like, I will never like Shimigami Tensei as much as Persona. And I am now here. I, I bought the game. I am like 30 hours in oh and I've had God. it for like a week. Oh I shared God. a screenshot of my current team, which yes, consists of king frost and the egyptian god of lore in the discord and the response is like is steven okay <laughs> like it wasn't like oh like cool you got a good team it's like the, the team you have is theoretically impossible to get based on how long you've had this game for <laughs> this is the perfect game to play when the sun goes out at 5 p.m and you want to have weird dreams and <laughs> fight slightly fascist angels i fucking love this game in a way that I did not expect to at all. And I think there's so many elements of it I want to talk about, but I just think that what's really working for me is weirdly the familiar experience side of it. Um, Despite it being so fresh and new and modern in so many ways, I think that this game, like, like Dragon Quest, Shimagami Tensei is a very long running series that also hasn't like they change up like, what's going on every time like especially in smt like some games are like kind of more persona-y about like high school students uh some are like i know four is about like cyberpunk samurai so like the setting 
and the characters are always wildly different, but the the ideas are very similar, where it's usually like agents of law and chaos battling over the fate of humanity, and the player, uh, depending on which demons they team up with, kind of chooses a side. Very, very, uh, it is it is the edgelord's Dragon Quest in many ways, where it's <laughs> like, do you want to actually kill God as like humanity knows God, not just like a, a big bad, like do you want to kill the actual God and team up with the devil? This game feels like every parent's nightmare yes. in the 90s. Like, yes. what are you playing, honey? I just teamed up with Lucifer to kill God. Right. Because and I that's don't kind like of rules. in all the SMT games, right? Like all the yes. SMT games are kind of loosely that. It's so funny because I think there was like a satanic panic around Pokemon at one point. It's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> buddy, have you seen what's going on on yeah. the PlayStation? Like <laughs> I watched a clip of SMT4 because I was curious, and and there's a you know if you choose the chaotic path, the final boss is God. Spoilers, <laughs> and it's this sort of like big head. It's like Power Rangers, like this sort of big head in space. Oh wow! <laughs> um, and all all the characters are like, we believe in each other. We're gonna take you down, and then it just cuts to Lucifer. Like, I'll help you too. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> it was so jarring. I'm like, hell yeah. But anyway, this game really appeals. It has a really satisfying loop in the way that I remember like my my brief time playing World of Warcraft back in the early 2000s of this feeling of like, I want to do this thing to get this cool thing that is the next level. But then once I'm there, there's another cool thing I can do. Now that felt sort of predatory in an MMO that like wants your time and money. But in SMT, what it feels like is that I, I fully expected this game to be very cruel, very intense very frustrating, very unfair. And what I found it to be, despite the sort of like edgy vibe of it and the moodiness of it, it's incredibly rewarding. Like no matter what you're doing in the game, you are getting experience. Like the environments are structured kind of like, it's like they took this sort of more open approach with the Persona Palaces, but it sort of made it a stretched out kind of open world. And it feels like Dragon Quest XI in, in, in a sense, in the way that you are navigating this environment, looking for treasure chests, running into enemies if you want to get into battles, which I love. And the momentum and the, and the movement in the environment is very fun. My one big complaint is that the map is a little bit hard to read and there's a lot of verticality involved in discovering yep. hidden objects. But I've usually found that when I just explore... I end up finding cool stuff, whether that's like hidden demons that give you glory, that unlock miracles, that <laughs> that anytime you ever had a thought of like, oh, I wish I could do this. Yeah, it's a miracle, dude. You can do it as long as you find enough demons or the weird glowing stuff. Miracles being a game mechanic, just to be clear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Uh, it's a hard game to talk about. And like uh, Dragon Quest V, essentially the core mechanic is like you don't have a party like Persona. You are just one character. And every time you get into a battle with demons, you can talk to them and try to negotiate them to join your team. And then once you start getting more demons, you can fuse them together to make more powerful ones. And that's something that exists in Persona as well. Like the main character can use multiple Personas. You can switch between them. You can fuse Personas. I have played all of Persona 5 Royal. I have played all of Persona 5. I have played all of Persona 4. Brendan, that is roughly 300 hours of game. And I still cannot confidently tell you how any of that works. I have no yeah. clue. I, I basically just did it to have the next one. I never had any strategies in mind. I never really felt like I had agency over the process. I just sort of trusted Igor and his evil laughter as I fused a character from Les Mis with a jack-o'-lantern. Um, <laughs> but in SMT5, I feel like 
the game communicates way more clearly how the systems work, what it expects of you, what you can do to win a battle so that when you do get wiped, I have never felt frustrated. I've just felt like I got to switch it up. Yes. And, and I think that the game rewards exploration and experimentation in a way that just makes the whole thing fun to play. Like even with like, cause the way it's structured is largely you're in this open environment and you're running around and getting into a lot of battles. It is grindy in a sense, but I don't think it ever feels monotonous because things are always changing. You know, like you'll, you'll be with the same team of demons for like an hour and then you'll probably be at a level where you can then fuse new ones and you can try that out. So like, yeah, there's always something new. Also, the battle theme in this game is incredible. Like you said, it's literally my bloody Valentine. It's just like the best shoegaze song. Talk about being 16. It is just <laughs> a dream to me. It yeah. is. I do think I do think it's worth touching on the the uh, demon fusion thing specifically because I, I could see a pitfall that people fall into potentially if you've never played an SMT game. I didn't really figure this out until a couple hours in, but like, Never be precious about the demons you have because they're all just fusion fodder, essentially. As much as you might love your team at a certain moment, like it actually behooves you to just get rid of all of them to fuse them into other better things eventually. I, I think there's a nice moment where you can be like, I really like the way my team looks right now, but there has to be that acceptance that that can't last forever in a way. Yeah. The best demons will last you like five levels, roughly. I just think this game gets compared to Pokemon a lot. And the whole thing with Pokemon is like, I have this huge affinity for my team and I travel with them all, all around this yeah. world and I love them so much and I've named them and they're my best friends. Uh, but in this game, that's only going to last like 45 minutes to an hour and then you have to fuse them. I almost gave away with the fusion is like, maybe we could talk about it later, but it's wild. <laughs> but it's just it's I think what makes that a fun experience and not one that feels like, oh, I want to keep using these characters is that like the options you get are are so exciting. Oh, yeah. Like, wait a minute. I can fuse Alice from Alice in Wonderland as like just a, a person I can fight with. Yeah. I can I can make like Charon uh, like, you know, it's I find it to be very uh, satisfying to constantly do that. And I also like how you can I mean, this is in Persona as well. But you can register demons to like a compendium and you can register like your exact like the moveset you had for that demon can just sort of be saved away. So that way, when you get to the more the special fusions that you have to like, you have to sort of secretly unlock by having a specific number of demons. You can fuse them by like you don't have to go back and like re-catch them. You can just pay money to like yeah get them all back. Which I just think I I like that this game gives multiple avenues to getting the same results. So I'm just really surprised. I I probably sound a bit unhinged, but like this is just so immediately one of my favorite games of this year. And I do think that it's not for everyone in the way that like I don't think Persona I don't think any game is for everyone but I do think Persona 5 evidenced by the fact that it was like such a huge hit just has like that sort of mass appeal on multiple levels yeah I think that like you you do need to sort of be in a certain headspace for this primarily one that involves the sun going out at five <laughs> and it being cold outside um but I just think that like I'm glad that this series alongside Persona has finally kind of clicked for me it does make me want to go back and play like four maybe even give Nocturne another shot but I do think five feels like it's working for me because it does have all those like quality of life improvements it feels like a very smooth experience i find that the boss battles are usually like pretty challenging but they always like have a clear like the first big boss 
Um, if you talk to the demons in the area, they're like, oh, yeah, I hear there's like a big hydra that breathes fire and poison. And it like highlights yeah. these terms. Yeah. And it's like, wait a minute. <laughs> if I use this, whatever it is, this skill card, I can basically customize my main character to be resistant or immune to both of those elements. Yeah. So it, it just sort of teaches you that like not only should you not be precious with your demons, but you should also be like constantly experimenting with how to go into that specific fight. It's like, what is this boss doing? Yes. What can I do against this boss? And I think that that is just a thrilling experience. I think going back to your point about, you know, getting wiped by a boss and being like, oh, this isn't a frustrating experience. It's just kind of a clue as to how you need to respect yourself uh, to yeah. go back into that boss fight. And you'll probably win the next time. I found that in most instances, whenever I get knocked out, I'm usually just coming right back with new affinities and, and a new move set uh, and, and a different focus on demons. I just have a different party and then I'm fine. Um, yeah, that's kind of the experience. Uh, it's overall. just it's really interesting, too, because I think that like even in Persona 5, there are several bosses that just feel like complete bullshit. You know, like there, yeah. there are oh, multiple totally. fights in that game. There's one in particular that any any fan of that, of that game knows who I'm talking about. Yes. Uh, it involves a hamburger in space. That's all I'll say. <laughs> but uh, like there are a lot of fights in the game just, that just feel unfair and arbitrary. And I have yet to feel that way in this. Um, I do think it's because it is a game that is entirely about the battles. So it's it's so kind of finely tuned to have that front and center. In terms of the story, I won't spoil anything, but I'm far enough into this game to know that it's kind of structured in a way where, like, there's the initial story you get. You get, like, you know, sprinkling of, of narrative, and then sort of an inciting event happens, and there's the first big open area. And that's, like, you know, 10 hours of game right there. And then once you beat the next big boss, um, there's another, like, dollop of story. Right. And then there's another new area. It it weirdly feels like the inverse of Persona 5, where you're getting, in Persona 5, hours of just television. <laughs> and then at the end of that, you get the palace that is the actual game. So it's, like, it, it's, it's, it's completely flipped, where it's, like, you're getting mostly game and then just, like, a little TV show in the middle. How do you feel about that? I think it's working for me because, honestly, I, I could use even less of the story I'm getting. Because I, I thought that I found, I find the atmosphere and the mood of it more effective than any like more concrete scene. Mm. I don't know if this is me reading too much into it, but I find that I picked up on somewhat similar themes of rebellion from Persona 5. Where Persona 5 is largely about like a group of young people that are, are tackling on corruption uh, that they feel like these situations where they feel powerless they find a way to take on the sort of root of the problem yeah. that are usually personified as like these really evil people in positions of power. In SMT5, I think the villain is just like the world and society and arguably like heaven and hell have just failed humanity. Mm -hmm. And I think there's something kind of interesting and and uh, intriguing about like, here's this teenager who is just sort of like, given a poisoned and destroyed world and they're like you figure it out you know i right. think that there's a lot of power to that and there's a lot of unfortunate like relation to that where you know it's sort of like there's no direction for this seemingly hopeless world but it doesn't feel like grim it doesn't feel like too sour i think because the game also feels very video gamey where as much as there's this like theme of like the world has failed you it's up to you to be the new god essentially <laughs> you have to figure 
figure out what type of world you want because there's nothing left. Uh, there's also like a little merchant with a crown who's like, well done, you found all the goblins. Here's a potion. Like, yeah. There are so many moments like that. And then the demon interrogation where you're, you know, talking to demons and trying to get them to join your party. There are moments where like the demons, like a demon in your party might just start talking to another demon and they're like, oh yeah, I saw you on the subway. Like it's not enough to characterize the game as upbeat in the way persona is it is a very sort of gloomy experience but i don't find it to be off-putting in in the way that nocturne kind of was and i think i share that opinion with you but i do think the story is interested in a lot of the stuff that i did find interesting in nocturne it's very and this is also just like series-wide things where there's a lot of conversations and scenes about the intersection of like technology and the occult and sort of like is it better to live in a society that is like run by these sort of rigid cold angels that seemingly are helping but they also clearly don't care about humans or do we just have an open wasteland where lucifer is god and like (laughs) you know there's that so i just think um i think what also aids that is like there there are a few other characters that are all kind of going down like every answer you could have to that question of law versus chaos all those other characters are sort of going down a different direction yeah so i think that it's interesting to see how that all plays out and it's not quite clear like you're given some dialogue choices and you're given like some sub quests where like you can either side with the angels or with the demons and i've i've kind of done a mix and i find that the demons that are in my party are characterized as like neutral light so i feel like i'm on kind of a neutral path um, which is probably what i would choose honestly given you know demons that are like hi can i eat you or an angel that's like i'm a cop like i don't like either um so it's working for me i think that my answer will definitely depend on like where it goes by the end but i do think that I like the focus on atmosphere and I like the ideas that are at play. Yeah. So I think you're, I think you're onto something. So th- the reason I ask is because I, I find that this is one of the things that is preventing me from playing this game as much as everything sure. else that I'm currently playing is I do kind of wish there was a little, or at least until we started talking about it, I kind of wish there was a little bit more story. And it's kind of the thing that's preventing me from recommending it to other people in my life who like love persona, for example, is like, I don't know if I would just like tell them straight up to go check out SMT five. I do think you're right in that it is, you know, without having played all the other ones, having only played a little bit of Nocturne, but just seeing what the conversation online is like, it does seem like it's the best that SMT has ever been. And it's definitely the most welcoming that SMT has ever been. Yeah. I think a large part of that is, you know, one of both of our big drives with Nocturne was like, it was almost a little bit too dour. It was almost like a little bit too edgy and a little bit too like, what if Hot Topic wasn't camp at all? Um, (laughs) And this game, while set in a literal biblical apocalypse, is so fucking charming all the time. Like every demon you meet is so funny or weird or interesting or like you just kind of want to hang out with them. And I really appreciate that. I think you might be right that like maybe the answer is less story. Like maybe, you know, maybe if the story is about just handing the fate of the world or the fate of the universe to a teenager, telling them to figure it out, like, Maybe don't give me anything then. Maybe don't give me like scraps of a thing that I can try and cling to to make that decision for me. Maybe it should be about asking these questions myself, especially when you're running into all these other characters who are kind of musing or kind of waxing poetic about these ideas and themes and ideologies on their own. Like maybe that's all you really need. Maybe you just need 
people to bounce ideas off of. You don't really need like to know what happened when the apocalypse went down because yeah, it's pretty apparent. And that that is that is the bulk of it. Like what you're kind of asking for is mostly what you're getting. But I think it is like a little bit extra in that like I actually I think having a more minimalistic approach, like weirdly having a more Dark Souls approach where it's just like NPCs you see kind of on the road. I was going to reference Dark Souls too. I always feel like it, it's so, I don't know, Bringing up Dark Souls is is so iffy. Everyone's it's been Shrekified, yeah. yeah, yeah. I just forgot how to speak for a second. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Then I said Shrekified, and yeah. I woke you up. <laughs> yeah, it did. It did wake me up. Um, I was on a plane today. Anyway, so what? I was going to bring up Dark Souls too because I, I feel I feel like that that is kind of maybe the better move here. Um, it's just like go talk to weird characters and they'll just like laugh at you and then send you on your way. Uh. I like what this game is doing, though. And and I think, you know, it is that focus on mechanics that we were talking about with Diamond and Pearl just kind of turned into a whole ass video game. And I like that it's just kind of a, a, a means for the writers to explore some ideas that I haven't fully grasped yet. I'm much earlier than you, even though um, I think everyone is. Yeah, I, I started. <laughs> this is another uh, like I think the last time I played this much of a game this quickly was Three Houses. Like it was that that week where I just yeah. like binged one of the houses in like seven days yeah you, you've been texting me about this game a lot so i've been really excited to hear your thoughts um and i think i think you're convincing me to put some more time into it which is good not that i'm not liking it it's just like compared to everything else that's out right now which thankfully nothing else is really coming out this year we're kind of done at this point really all that's left is like for you and i to revisit stuff for Goaty and to just keep playing the stuff that's out at the moment which means it'll definitely get to dump more time into this game but uh it is very interesting playing this and dragon quest and pokemon all at the same time because they're all kind of going after similar things in like the most different ways possible yeah for real. But I, I'm really enjoying just being kind of like enveloped in this blanket of RPGs, kind of almost on a sliding scale from like least to most intense. Uh, <laughs> but I do think you're yeah. right. I think this game is not as hard as it was billed to be. And there are, you know, ways that you can curve that in different directions, right? Like you could download this game and play it on normal or hard if you wanted to. You could also play it on casual like I'm playing. And there's also a downloadable mode that's even easier that I think is just called like story mode that you could swap into if you wanted to. So I think at least from the outside, it seems like they're trying to make this kind of a bridge into SMT. Yeah, I'm playing on normal. And I think that it's also like, I do think it helps to have a working knowledge of because all the all the attacks are like, named you know things that may not be immediately readable as what they are because mm -hmm. they're often different languages or like references to different things and uh so having like that knowledge of like i know what like dia and uh, mabufu do from yes. my persona time true uh, does help but the game also does just like it communicates everything like everything is spelled out everything is there for you to double check and see and i think that that is really helpful because you know a game doesn't do that Persona 3. They don't tell you what the attacks do. You just have to know. It, it's very, I mean, they do when you like are in battle, but in the menus, they're just like, yeah, you know what Rakanda does, right? Like, yeah. I got to Google it. Sorry. That is a thing that this game does surprisingly well versus yes. Persona. Not to keep comparing the two, but like Persona, I always find it so fucking hard to get into because the whole first like five hours of those games are tutorials that just go right over your head. Like those tutorials are not written in a way to actually help you play the game. They're almost there out of <laughs> obligation just so they can get to the stuff they actually want to be doing. Yeah. And this game, I think personally does a really spectacular job of teaching you how to play the video game. I, I think you're right in that it'd be very helpful to have some kind of like 
background knowledge, almost like don't watch the new Dune movie unless you've either read Dune or like watched a YouTube video or like read a primer online because it'll help a lot. That's kind of how I feel about SMT. But also there are billion articles online that are like things you will wish you had known before you start SMT5. I also kept thinking about RPGs that are combat focused like i thought of that bravely default and octopath traveler yeah games that we both loved the battle system but like the narrative was like weak enough to get in the way and i just think that like this is just the way to do it i I do think that the narrative here is strong and especially in the atmosphere but i think the fact that it, it comes so second to everything else like if that's the intention of the game then like flaunt the strength of it you mm-hmm. know we don't need a story beat after every battle it can just be i'm running to the next thing i'm yeah. gonna catch a kelpie i'm gonna fuse it with the jack frost and see what happens you know totally in terms of recommendation it, it, i i also struggle like i don't i do not think it is the case and recommending stuff is hard because it's all so subjective but i try to really Take a step back and think, like, okay, like what elements are here? What would you like? I think like if you liked Persona, like there's a better chance you'll like Mass Effect than SMT5 in terms of like <laughs> what the game is going for. Yeah. But I do think that like I would compare it to if you liked Three Houses, it's the similar recommendation to like playing an older Fire Emblem, you know, where it's like it's just going to be tactics. Mm-hmm. I think I made that comparison last week where it's like, this game is is focused on mechanics over story. And I understand and I'm surprised because I am someone who is largely more interested in the narrative function of games. And I and I like Persona for what it's doing with the cast and with the story. But I've just learned that like I, I think that in Persona you have this really beautiful balance of the two. Like when you're doing one thing, you're looking forward to doing the other. They complement each other. And this game is just sort of giving you like a, a sort of bird's eye view of how deep those mechanics go and how good they are. Um, and I just think that that is working for me. I also just think I'm in a perfect mindset for like just like a, a time sink RPG like this. Totally. Sort of like a Pokemon adjacent. I'm just going to like grind out and kind of get hypnotized by it. Like I'm really enjoying that element of it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a reason I've been spending all my free time when I'm not working on stuff, just like watching Seinfeld and Frasier and <laughs> grinding out levels in three different RPGs simultaneously. Yeah. I also think the use of color is really strong. And that's another thing that I think prevents it from being too dour is like the environments, like the main character has this like really beautiful long blue hair that like really stands out. Like the first area is like kind of golden and glistening. Mm -hmm. And the second area is like very red and like it just, it just looks cool. Everything looks good, even though it's like destroyed buildings. Like you still like want to be there which is so funny because like it's so satanic and like off-putting <laughs> but i'm like yeah I'll, I'll keep playing this for another seven hours yeah Why not? but yeah I, I i love it i also love that every demon like they're all they're all sort of interpretations of of different characters and, and creatures from folklore and religion ranging from you know alice and alice in wonderland to like actual deities i love that you can look at a little summary of lore on them I really love those lore snippets. They're really good. Yeah, but then some are like, this is a Scandinavian bedtime story to to scare children. And it's like a teddy bear with like, you know, skulls in its stomach. Uh, (laughs) Very funny. There was one for King Frost where it's, I think I tweeted this, but it's like King Frost rules over an infinite number of Jack Frost and has the power to freeze the entire world. But due to his naive personality, doesn't know. (laughs) That is actually all I need narratively. I just need to know that the demon who is fighting alongside me and is debuffing the enemy so I can land a critical hit has the power to freeze the world within them. And that's very comforting (laughs) to know. SMT5.
It's out. That's it's it, on yeah. the Switch. It's one of the best RPGs on the Switch, probably. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can confidently yeah. say that. Um, depending on what you're looking for, but it, yeah, I, I would I would say that is the case. For yeah, sure. go check it out if you want. <laughs> it's better than those new Grand Theft Auto games. <laughs> That's the back of the box quote. <laughs> Should we wrap up? Yeah, let's wrap up. I think we're running out of steam. Yeah. Hey, thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, the best way to help it grow is to share it with a friend. Into the Cast.online is our hub for everything that has links to everywhere you can listen to the show. It has links to our Patreon. A special shout out to all our patrons. Thank you so much for your generosity. Backing the show helps the show grow. Obviously, do not contribute to that if it puts you in any financial strain. But for those who are doing it, really thank you. It lets the bonuses happen. It lets us take chances on games. And it just lets us, you know, grow as a show and, and become more independent. And yeah, I'm doing the Nuzlocke stream. There's no set schedule for that because the holidays are coming up and I, I have to do things that aren't playing SMT5. So uh, I'll, I'll be away for a bit. But um, I'm going to do when this episode comes out, I will have a stream planned for the Friday of that week. So in a couple of days, I'll be back with that. And then after the holidays, I'll, I'll probably resume it. But yeah, I'll, I'll be like in Jersey without a way to stream for basically all of December. So I'll probably do like a bunch at once and then like chill for a bit and then get back to it in the new year. Anything on your end in terms of streaming or videos? Yeah. Yeah. I've been streaming a lot recently. I've been playing a lot of Forza. I've been playing a lot of Halo. I'll probably just continue doing, I I, I like doing these kind of more like low key, just, you know, kind of unannounced, not always going to VOD streams that are just more for like hanging out on Twitch. So I would just say follow on Twitch and you can get notifications for that uh, or join the Discord because we also have a bot that sends notifications whenever we go live. Yeah. So yeah, join the Discord also. Go to Into the Cast Out Online for links to everything else. I want to say thanks to everybody who checked out the TikTok that I started. It's about game news. It's called It's Video oh, yeah. Games. I'll link <laughs> to that again in the show notes. I really appreciate that. That's been fun to do. I I talk about this all the time on and off the show, but how I want like kind of an avenue for talking about game news. And that has been so easy and fun to do. For those of you who've been listening to the show for a while, you might remember Good Morning Video Games, which was a show I used to do every morning that I did for two months every morning and uh, burnt out on that real quick because producing a video between the hours of 6 and 7 a.m. every day in the dearth of winter uh, was really fucked up, honestly. (laughs) So this is much better and much healthier and I feel good about it. I'm glad. So going to continue doing that. And I don't know what else. Um, Fuck Bobby Kotick. That guy should step down. Uh, He's a real nightmare. Actually, while we were recording this episode, Nintendo of America also put out a statement saying that he should that he sucks. So uh, that's great. So we now have Xbox, PlayStation and Nintendo being like, fuck this guy. Uh, And uh, (laughs) just want to, you know, join in on that chorus. Fuck that guy. For real. He sucks. And uh, that's how I want to end the episode. Hey, my name is Brandon Bigley. I was going to plug the bonus, but this feels like a weird time. (laughs) (laughs) They'll hear the bonus when it's out. Yeah. Hey, my name is Brandon Bigley. You can find me on the internet at Brandon Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger. You can find me at Stephen Hilger. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Goodbye. Bye. Garbage. Draw online.